So after we released our conversation with Josh Constein, in which we chatted about the best ways to pitch a tech startup, we received quite a few emails from people who are curious to know more about growth marketing. Elaine Selvi is here with us. She is a principal and director of growth at Signal Fire, and she splits her time between investing out of the seed fund and working with the portfolio on growth and GTM, or go-to-market strategy. Prior to joining Signal Fire, Elaine built and led the product marketing team of nine at Consensus, working across a portfolio of more than 50 incubated companies, as well as with the enterprise Ethereum Association and the Ethereum Foundation. Before Consensus, Elaine led enterprise product marketing at Slack, and before Slack, Elaine spent five years at Capriza, an enterprise software company with investors such as 16Z and CRV. As you can see, Elaine has a lot of experience in growth marketing, and that's exactly what we're going to focus on today. Welcome to the show, Elaine. Thanks so much for having me. Let's kick it off straight away with how you walk your portfolio companies through their go-to marketing strategy. So tell us more about this process and your framework for that. Sure, I'm happy to. So the way I think about go-to market in general is breaking it down by a couple of different ways to segment. One way is by business model. So there's typically three business models with a, a slight fourth that I'll throw in there. You're either top-down enterprise, you're direct-to-consumer, or you're bottoms-up growth. The, the last one they'll throw in there is B to B to C, so business to business to consumer. And then there's also the segment of stage. Are you a seed stage company? Are you series A, series B, growth stage? And each of these have very different ways of thinking about your go-to-market. And I have multiple different versions of what I call a go-to-market toolkit. And it walks people through sequentially how you need to think about each of the pieces. But what is very consistent is the first thing people really need to nail is their messaging and positioning. And that really goes into who is your audience, where do they live in the physical and digital world, and what do they care about? And so there's a bunch of exercises I walk people through to really identify the who and then turn that into very crisp messaging positioning, which leads into other channels. So let's use an example here. Let's say I am a company that is selling to sales. So it's a sales tech. Uh, one example I sometimes walk people through is there's a fictitious company I made up called Auto CRM. And one thing that salespeople hate is the fact that they have to enter a ton of data manually into Salesforce. And it's a super time-consuming process. It's not what they should be spending their time doing. So this magical company, Auto CRM, takes all of the burden away and enters 100% of information through looking at your calendar, your email, things like that. So from there, what I would start to do is identify the seven people within a buying circle. So in enterprises, you have an ultimate buyer who's going to be the budget holder. You have an uh, initiator. This is the first person you're going to come in contact with. You're going to have a champion who's the person that's going to shepherd you through that organization and through the buying cycle. You're going to have influencers that are people tangential and important in getting that through. And then you're going to have end users and then a gatekeeper. Gatekeeper tends to be people like procurement or IT uh, or security in, um, in enterprise sales. And so walking through each, you identify the who. And from there, you identify the what are their pain points today, uh, any language they use in particular. Uh, and, and then that starts turning into what I call the very super simple uh, positioning statement. And how I break this down is for who. So it is uh, auto CRM is for sales executives. Uh, that have what problem? So really dig in crisply to what is the problem they have. Uh, and then your solution. So auto CRM provides uh, and your solution there, unlike your competitors. 
Um, so just really framing it in a way that tacks on the for who, what the problem is, what your solution offers, and why you're different. Um, so that's kind of the beginning of, of how I would go about that. Um, and then from there, thinking through channels, depending on what you're selling and who your people are, they're going to live in different places. And so I always guide companies to do uh, both qualitative and quantitative studies and segmentation of their users. So identifying on a quantitative side, can I go and figure out from people that are paying me or coming to the site, who are these people and you know, where are they coming from? And so that's looking at data. And then the qualitative side is, can I go and send out surveys? Can I ask my users, you know, very unintuitive questions. For example, I might be selling, you know, a product to IT, but I might want to know what blogs do you read? Because if I can get in front of them, wherever they are, I now have their attention and I can create the top of the funnel, which is really going to be the awareness piece. Um, ultimately, I walk people through the four stages of a buying cycle is awareness, education, interest, and then conversion. And so a lot of times you're starting at top of the funnel of how do I even get them to know I exist? From there, it's figuring out how do I get them educated on what my product provides and what problem I'm solving for them and make sure it really resonates with the problem. Um, from there, can I get them interested? Is this something that they actually might consider purchasing and then ultimately a conversion? That's really cool. Do you, when you have that, those channels or those blogs, for example, identified, how do you come up with your story ideas? Do you come up with those or do you work with the PR teams? Tell us more about that. Yeah, I think of growth and product marketing as a lot of connective tissue between a lot of different departments, both on the marketing and PR side, as well as product and engineering. So in terms of crafting the right stories and crafting the right messages, I think there's a bunch of different ways to work with teams. On the PR and communication side, it's identifying what are the outlets that target my same audience? And can I leverage those teams to really understand what is the correct language that these people like to use? What is the format that best will resonate with them? Is it short form content? Is it long form content? Is it getting into a trade publication, a national publication, <clears throat> excuse me, and ultimately, uh, how do they want to be sold to? Is this something where they want to really soft sell? Do they want just the hard facts and information? And those teams are really best equipped for that. Um, on the content marketing side, a lot of times content teams are very helpful from an SEO perspective, uh, which is something that a lot of enterprise companies are still doing in terms of capturing attention. So it might take that messaging and positioning and translate that into a whole series of content posts uh, that are going to be used to drive traffic based off of certain search queries. So that's kind of the way to work there. And then from even the product perspective, a lot of times now you've heard from the customers, you've heard what they need and what they want. Can you take that and translate that back into product so that you're not selling something that ultimately doesn't exist? It definitely sounds like then this whole process shouldn't be in a silo, right? It's all about coming together, working together with all different parties and team members to put together this full circle marketing strategy? Yeah, absolutely. The way, you know, the way I think about it is that every department that is customer touching or customer facing is going to have different pieces of information and different insights. And nobody has the full picture. And I think of the kind of product marketing role as the one that is supposed to take that and synthesize it. And then I think of the growth marketing role as the people who are going to use that synthesis and essentially make put, put out things on different channels that's going to be levers of growth. Um, and so 
I think of almost like three rings of a circle where you have the people who know bits and pieces um, bring it in to kind of craft that messaging. And then that messaging turns into various growth campaigns. What are your tips for working together? Because sometimes it can be pretty hard, especially have you ever worked with maybe a consultant who was brought on for project-based things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Even with our portfolio, I have a network of around 40 different growth consultants who work on specific types of growth channels, sometimes uh, more broad, sometimes very specific. SEO being one where a lot of times people really specialize, content marketing, uh, digital ad buying, video, those type of things. And what I often tell companies at the earliest stages, so think seed series A companies, is ultimately at some point you're going to need to bring this function in-house. But what I love about consultants is they're generally intellectually curious. And the reason they're not in-house anymore is because they don't want to just go and turn small knobs and incrementally increase growth at a single company. They want to go and build the machine and build the infrastructure from scratch. And they come in with fresh eyes because they understand that what worked for one company is probably not going to work for the next company. So when they come in, right? And they're not trying to take a a square peg and plug it in a round hole. Mm, And I think coming in with that, you know, beginner's mind and fresh set of eyes means that they're going to look at your business as a unique company and really try to build and craft growth channels and and essentially programs that work for you. And because they've done this 40 times before, the speed at which they can do it is so much faster than somebody who's only done it once or twice in-house at a company. So I highly recommend people leverage a consultant or a freelancer to come in and help build that machine, help set up the infrastructure. From there, once you start to identify and test what's working, what's not working, you can bring somebody in full time who really understands your product, the company, the culture, and they can go and continue to iterate and define those knobs. Um, But, you know, I, I very, very, very much believe that you can get a lot of value out of consultants. Hey, that's my story. (laughs) Yeah. At my last job, I was a consultant and um, yeah, they needed a PR to earned media for the sake of SEO and I was hired to just produce and they were like, wow, (laughs) we really jive. And then I was offered a job. So it could lead to something greater, too, for the consultant. Um, That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I have a question for you. Um, All all you are saying makes a lot of sense and it's like perfect. Like I think any startup should have like all those limbs that you talk about, particularly like product marketing and like growth marketing. But what do you say to somebody that unfortunately doesn't have the budget to work with? Like, do you have any advice for people who might not have might have to wear more than one hat? What I would say is there's a lot you can learn um, from a few things. One on the we'll, we'll we'll split them into two because I think that there is different differences between product marketing, growth marketing, but a lot of times they're very tightly coupled. Okay. On the product marketing side. A lot of it is just really having empathy and curiosity about your customer and your user, uh, listening more than you talk, not making assumptions, um, really trying to hear what somebody is saying, and also connect the dots in unintuitive ways. A lot of times, new technology companies are trying to sell something where the customer has a problem, but they might not even know it. And so can you pick up on subtle cues that are indicating that they actually do have this problem? And can you kind of uh, you know, guide them? to get to the point where they understand and are looking for a solution. 
Um, and so I think, you know, again, it really just comes back to listening and having empathy for that for that company. On the growth marketing side, this is where I think there is a lot of specialty in certain categories, but there's also a lot that you can do just to kind of get yourself up to a, you know, kind of minimum viable speed. Um, and, you know, the things that people test out first typically are going to be paid digital. So you're going to have Google ads, Facebook ads. Some people now are experimenting with things like TikTok, but We'll see what happens in the next two weeks with that one. Um, <laughs> content marketing. Um, you know, there's a lot you can read about basic SEO. Also, now a lot of different website building tools, whether you're building on WordPress or other different tools, have plugins that help you with things like SEO. So they're going to kind of guide you and handhold you. And while this isn't going to go and rank you number one for some competitive terms, it will definitely give you a leg up um, and at least kind of a starting space for somebody to come in at a future date. Um, email marketing, webinars, there's a lot of things people can test. And I think just being able to run a bunch of tests and see what works and what doesn't is something that most people who are scrappy uh, and business-minded can, can kind of get across. Are there any digital channels that you think marketers don't pay enough attention to? Um, you know, one underrated channel, uh, which I think you guys will be very well aware of, is actually podcasting. Um, it's very cheap right now. It is direct response. So oftentimes people are creating campaigns where they tell you to go to a specific landing page, enter a specific code. The problem is like the billboard problem. It's essentially untrackable. Um, most people cannot remember when they are listening and on the run, maybe you're you know, walking your dog or washing dishes. You can't remember to go to a specific URL and enter a code. And so even if you are seeing a slight spike in traffic, it's, it's anecdotal. Um, but that said, it's very easy to figure out what type of audience would be listening to what type of podcast. So I think that's one channel that's actually underutilized today. I love that tip. Um, you said it's inexpensive. I've actually never done, you know, looked into podcast advertising, I guess you could say. How in general, what's the ball ballpark range for that kind of thing? <laughs> so this is some of the, the dark magic of podcast advertising <laughs> today in that it's very bespoke. Uh, most people are doing this via two different mechanisms. One is using a company like a mid-roll, which goes and does dynamic ad insertion for you. So you say, I'm generally targeting these type of people and these type of podcasts, um, and their prices range anywhere from usually like $25, maybe a little bit more per thousand listeners. Uh, the problem with this is one, um, listener data is incorrect today because it's actually just measuring downloads and a lot of podcast apps auto download uh, if you're subscribed to the feed. So I discount that pretty heavily. Uh, the other way of doing podcast ads is negotiating directly with the podcaster or their ad salesperson. And here it really depends on how premium is their audience, um, how much you know, you're willing to pay essentially, and also how many listeners they have. And again, uh, if you do embark on the podcast ad route, uh, know that the listener data is not going to be particularly accurate. One other thing I'd highly recommend people do is not just do podcast ads, but go on podcasts. It's a really great way of getting essentially earned media um, by offering them, you know, obviously listener value if you're in, in the realm of their listeners, uh, but also it's going to be brand awareness, not only for you, but for the product or company you're building. I recommend podcast guest strategies for a few of my clients, especially those who want to work on 
their personal brand and position themselves as a thought leader on a certain topic. Now, one challenge that I do have with that, I will say, is sometimes they might not have the typical credentials to back up whatever they're an expert on. For example, and this is a very general example, but say it is someone who founded a tech company that helps you save money while shopping online. Very vague, I know. So how would you recommend brainstorming ways to make to make him or her more of an appealing guest to podcast hosts? Yeah, so how I would think about this. So it, it's funny we're bringing this back now because there's actually growth tactics you can apply to your personal brand when you think about that. So what I would recommend for this person is do a really deep dive or come out with some kind of major report or like, you know, industry something in the category uh, that can get a lot of, you know, whether it's earned or paid media. Um, from there, once you've already become, you know, like created something of value that shows you've at least gone super deep in one thing and built something that nobody else has built or come up with some kind of conclusion that nobody else has said, even if it's a very controversial opinion, that will all of a sudden be interesting for people. And mm -hmm. now you go and pitch like, Look at this. I mean, I'll use an example for myself. I built a market map with 250 different companies in the remote workspace. So companies in 45 different categories from video conferencing and virtual events to employee health and wellness to communication tools. And from there, I can now point to that going, look, I know a lot about remote work. And people then want to go and talk to me about that. So I think my recommendation is if you understand the thing you want to be known for, go and spend a little bit of time building something on that that is showing uh, you're an expert. And then from there, other people will uh, be much more amenable to having you as a guest. Yes, thought leadership. I mean, that's like what we do. Content totally. marketing, PR, all those activities can help feed into what you can lead up to making your CEO look like an expert. I mean, he is an expert or she. I love it because like every guest that we've had that's been an expert has basically said this like pretty much the same thing, but differently um, based off of their experience, which is know your audience and then go to where your audience is, which is great because I think PRs need to be reminded constantly of that, especially because we can get geeked out over maybe a name brand of an outlet. But if you're audience isn't really reading that, then who cares, you know? I mean, for the most part. But what if you're just starting out and you're, you don't even have customers yet? Because I know you talk about customer research, like survey or do video interviews with like your existing customers. What if you're starting more from scratch? Do you just kind of guess who your audience is and then just do like third, look at third party research to figure out where those people are engaging? I guess I would come at it from a slightly different perspective in that if you have enough conviction to leave your mm -hmm. job or whatever you're doing with your life and start a company, you should have some sense of a pain point that exists in the world for a certain demographic of people. I do see people who uh, use themselves as N equals one and say, oh, I think this is interesting. And Sometimes they think things are interesting in spaces they actually are not the customer and don't know a lot about, but maybe anecdotally heard one person mention it or think that they understand a user. And so I think, you know, coming, putting my investor hat on, 
I'm looking for people who have deep domain expertise on something, whether it's a lived experience, a worked experience that's been earned, um, some kind of connection to a space where they've identified a pain point that exists in the world. And this could be in literally any space you can imagine. But if you've never felt it and you've never seen it, um, it's it's very hard to know that it exists. And you know, I, I think that people shouldn't necessarily have conviction uh, to go and spend all their time and energy until they get to that point. Um, and from there, there's a lot of validation. So, so to your point around when you don't have users, when you don't have customers, how do you validate? Um, and that's where user interviews come in and user discovery calls come in. And trying to ask, this is, this is actually where it gets tough, is people tend to want to lead the witness. They have a very clear idea in their head of how other people feel. And they try to ask questions that will validate that and affirm mm. that. And that's actually a really important thing, whether you're at the customer discovery phase or just trying to understand your customers better, is asking questions where you're not trying to get an answer, you're trying to learn something. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit of a mindset when you're coming in um, and just making sure you, you are in that mindset of, I'm not coming in with predisposed ideas about what they're going to tell me or things that I'm looking for. I'm literally looking to listen and to hear from them what they need, what they want, what they're feeling. I love that. We um, at my old job, we had we hired a UX researcher, and that was fascinating to me because you don't realize just how technical that like job is. And like you said, like it's really easy to fudge up, you know. Yes. Um, and as you recommended, contractors that might be worth investing in if somebody's out there listening to this right now and they are like, oh, we need to do research. It, it would definitely probably be in your best interest to hire an expert, um, because this isn't something to be taken lightly, I guess. Absolutely. That's actually why companies like user testing exist, because part of it is you actually do just need a bunch of people trying to break your product and test various things. But you also want people that are going to be unbiased and also representative of a variety of types of users. From a growth marketing perspective, what's the last piece of advice you'd like to share with PR pros listening? One thing that maybe unintuitive to people that work in PR is that every the way I think about growth and content from for a growth perspective is in reusable components. So for anything that I'm putting effort behind, how many ways can I reuse that content in different channels, in different formats for different audiences? And I think that's one thing that I don't see happening enough is that collaboration between a growth or content team internally and the PR team of saying, how can we leverage the efforts that the PR team is doing and getting some amazing you know, write-ups and, and publicity and things like that? Can we leverage that for other things? Can we turn that into social content um, for our channels? Can we turn that into an ebook, a webinar, um, you know, a variety of other things that might not intuitively be associated with yeah, no content wasted. That's such a, a crime that people in our industry commit all the exactly. time. <laughs> Just wasting, putting all this money in a big content piece and then using it for one purpose and not other instances. So that's a really good shout out. Exactly. Especially for small teams when you need to be nimble and do a lot with a little. It's a really great way of getting a huge amount of bang for your buck, especially if you do end up getting um, you know, a great, a great piece written up. That's a great final tip to leave for our listeners. Thank you so much for coming on to we are in media and talking to us PRs about growth marketing, Elaine. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of We Earn Media. If you tune in often, Jackie and I would love for you to leave us a review. We're always trying to improve, and it's so helpful to know what our listeners are finding most useful about this podcast. Until next time.